Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Father, you are a wonderful, wonderful Father. And Lord, you have been generous and cheerfully giving to us for our lives and all that we need. We thank you for that. And we just thank you to come that we may bless your name and glorify you this morning. Join with us and join with us in our giving. Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to be cheerful, generous givers. And Lord, see that your kingdom is the one we're to be advancing. So I pray that you bless all those who give. And Lord, that you may just glorify yourself in through that. We come before you this morning to worship you, especially on this special day to honor our earthly fathers as good and precious gifts from your loving hand. Each one of us was specially created by your wonderful hand and given to a father. Played an important role in your plans to provide shelter, food, and love for us. And it's through them that we have come largely to understand what it means to be a father. And though they may not have always been perfect, they point to one who is. Though they may not have always been patient, they point to one who is. Though they may not have always been kind and loving, they point to one who is. They have nourished us, provided for us, played with us, and gave us our first lessons and riding a bike, driving a car, and working hard. We thank you for that, Father. For without them, we would not know really how to come to you. Yet also, I want to take a moment to remember that there are many who have never experienced the love of a father. There are many who have never experienced or enjoyed the pleasures of tossing a ball or shouting, higher, Daddy, on the swing set. There are many that have never known their fathers. Yet your word assures us that you are the father of the fatherless. And so our hearts go to those that may not have experienced that. May you just send them a comfort and a love and open up the heart to the one who is perfect, is patient, who is loving, who is kind. May we enjoy and praise you for our fathers. For those fathers that are here, I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to be like men. To be fathers who will stand for the word of God. And for those who may one day become fathers, I pray that you begin preparing them for that wonderful, glorious, but difficult task. To the Father of all, we rejoice. We pray this in the name of Christ. What a good God we have, do we not? Take your Bibles, turn to James chapter 2, and I'm going to ask you to stay there for a while as you're going to follow along with me in verses 1 through 7, changing a little bit from what the bulletin tells you. But in James chapter 2, 1 through 7, I've titled this Discrimination in the Church, and we're going to look at part 1 today. 
As you might remember in chapter 1, verse 18, as you look at that, it says, Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. In other words, God has created us to be something different. He wants us to be the first of many. Well, Christ is the first of many and we're to be like Him. We're to be Christ-like. The way that we become Christ-like is when we receive the word of God with meekness. And then that, we're to become more like Him. We're to bear His image. And as we saw last week, James is writing to encourage the Jewish believers scattered around the world to be obedient to the Word of God. For to be like Christ means to obey God's Word. Last week, James wrote of the importance of following through in obedience. As we found, it's not enough just to hear the Word of God, but also to be a doer. To not follow through in obedience is to be self-deceived. It's actually to put your profession of faith in jeopardy. The message of the gospel, we found, should move us to obedience to God's command. Today, though, we're going to tackle a different subject as we continue with that thought of following through. The United Nations Cyber School Bus website writes that the Earth's 6 billion humans share many similarities and differences. Everyone on Earth must eat and breathe and drink to stay alive. Everyone has a family, a language, and a culture. All people have hopes and dreams and fears and feelings of every imaginable kind. Yet, it goes on to write that humans also differ in many ways. Some of these differences are physical, such as skin color, hair texture, or gender. Other differences include languages, customs, and beliefs that are learned. But it is these differences that cause us to make judgments or to discriminate against each other. Imagine this. Going to a citywide party in which people from many different cultures, race, religions, languages, and social economic backgrounds are invited. Maybe it's over here at the Honda Center. When you arrive, you find yourself scrutinized by several severe-looking men who direct you to a line and tell you to wait. And after some time patiently waiting to get in, you notice that there are actually several different lines leading to the doors and that all those in each line look and sound the same. It seems that the lines are representative of people from different backgrounds, appearances, and so on. But not only that, but only a few of the many lines are actually moving. Finally, your line begins to move, and as you enter the building, you are told that you are to go to a spot far removed from the staging and from the banqueting tables, while those in other lines are given better access. Perplexed to how the hosts are determining the seating arrangement, you ask only to be told that it all depended on how you were dressed, what language you spoke, and how much you earned, and even the color of your skin. Let me ask you this. How would you feel about that event? Those hosts and those that receive preferential treatment. In America today, that would cause outrage. We pride ourselves in our abilities and practice of equal opportunity 
and treating everyone fairly. We have government departments with thousands of employees that spend millions of dollars to make sure that that type of favoritism does not happen. Yet, it still does, does it not? We find it in our workplace. Let me tell you this. I want to make something very clear. Well, I'll make it clear a little bit later. And what I was talking about is clicks. We're not talking about clicks here. Many times when you think of clicks, you think clicks are wrong and sinful. And I'm going to tell you, this is my opinion. Clicks are not wrong. If this group were to disperse and say, let's go have some coffee and get in some groups and talk, most likely we're going to talk and get in groups with people like us. And let's include maybe people from Target and from the mall. We're all meeting together. People tend to get in clicks or groups that are like them. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Those of you who are Laker fans are going to be over here. Those of you who are Dodger fans are going to be over here plotting how you're going to beat up the next giant fan that shows up. The Angel fans are going to be over here and so on and so forth. And then those of you who don't like sports are going to be in your whole different world. We're just like that. There's nothing really wrong with clicks. What's wrong when a click becomes sinful is when we refuse to allow others to join in or to become part of that or to have a say or not be accepted into our conversations. That's when it becomes wrong. And we don't like clicks. We don't like discrimination. It goes against something, especially this far after the Civil Rights Act. And I'm sure there's many of you who grew up, I know speaking of Mike, who grew up in that age when, when, when discrimination was very prevalent, even here in Orange County. For some of us that are a little bit older, we may not have experienced it in the detail that some of the rest of you have, but it yet it still exists. And let me tell you, the sad, tragic news is that it exists in the church of God. Not only 2,000 years ago, but even today. Let me show you James chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 through 7. He writes, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and a fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, hey, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Father, we come before you this morning asking for wisdom, discernment, as we read your word and now as we come together and as we try to understand it, Lord, I pray that your spirit will begin to work in our hearts now. Let me speak words that are edifying. Let us discern between the words of you and the words of man, and even the opinions. Lord, I pray that you just now begin to work in our hearts. Lord, would you expose any discrimination, any way in which we show favoritism or partiality, Lord, here in the church and in our lives, and expose it and let us see it for what it is. We pray this in your name. Amen. James here is pointing out a problem 
of showing favoritism in the first century church. The word that's translated partially there means to receive the face. It means to look at someone's face or their outward appearance. And it means to make judgments about people based on their outward appearance or to perform act of favoritism based on their appearance. We all understand favoritism. We all understand partiality. We've all been involved in it. We've been on the receiving end or we might have been on the giving end. But he recognizes the tremendous harm discrimination can have, not only in a society, but also in a close-knit community like the Church of God. To show favoritism destroys the testimony of the Christian as well as the character of God. To combat this problem, James gives the command to show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if you profess Christ, if you are a Christian, you're not to show partiality. You're not to look upon the face. You're not to show favoritism to one person or another. In other words, you're to receive all with gladness and with joy. And to drive this point home, he's going to give them a hypothetical situation, similar to what I did earlier, in which he uses a man who comes in with fine gold and then one who is poor. And to one who is dressed nicely, who you can tell is a wealthy man, they say, here, you sit right here in the best seats of the house. Whereas someone else who might come in who's homeless or maybe isn't dressed or nicely and doesn't smell the greatest, we may look at them and say, you know what? You, you sat way back there. That's why we made that booth back there for those guys. You sit back there in that booth away from everyone else, you know? That's not true, by the way. But that's the scenario he's painting. And that's what's happening many times in churches. And sometimes it's very, very subtle. But as you can see, there are two accusations in verse 4. Look at verse 4 in your Bible. He says, when you do that, have you not made distinction among yourself and become judges? There's two accusations. When you do that, you're making distinctions between the others. You're looking at someone's outward appearances. And he says, then you're making judgments with evil intentions. You're thinking to yourself, this person is better than the other." This can have devastating impact upon the church of God. Their treatment of fellow Christians and visitors actually belay their confession of faith. It's a blind spot in their life. They are deceived. It's pointing out an area where they become just hearers of God's word and not doers. And I say that again, and I want to share with you what I've shared before is in Scripture. In Scripture, you're going to find precepts, principles, and a person. Precepts are the thou shalt and the shall not. They're the commands of the Bible, the things that we are to do. And in this one, the precept is very simple. It comes from the Old Testament and from the teaching of Christ. As James is pointing out here, is we're not to show partiality. In Leviticus chapter 19, the Old Testament teaches, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor, not with evil intentions, not with evil thoughts, not with trying to separate the good from the bad. Jesus himself said in Matthew verse 3 and 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are the meek. 
for they shall inherit the earth. In other words, they have heard these words of God, but yet they're not following through. And it's created a blind spot where they're deceived, professing their faith to be true. They show themselves to be seed when they show partiality and favoritism in the church. Doug Moo observes two things. Those will be on if you're taking a note. Doug Moo, who's a pastor and a professor, writes that, number one, it shows that discrimination stands in contradiction to God's own evaluation in choosing His children. This is why discrimination is wrong, because it stands in contradiction to God's own choosing and evaluation. Look at, look at here, it says in, in a verse, he says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which He has promised to those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Again, we go back, what has God chosen? He has chosen the, blessed, the poor in spirit. He has chosen those that are meek. Scripture tells us that He humbles those who exalt themselves and He exalts souls who humble themselves. Discrimination stands in contradiction to God's own plan. The second thing we also see in verse 6 and 7 is favoritism towards the rich betrays a fawning mentality and a blind eye to oppression. Look at verses 6b, the second part of verse 6. He says, Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? There's three ways that the rich... And he says it doesn't make sense. He says they oppress you economically. They're using the court system to their own advantage to take your property and to abuse you. And then in the same way, they blaspheme the name of Christ while they do it. Why are you seeking to curry their favor? And that's why we show favoritism, is it not? Because we're trying to curry favor with them. We want to get something back. If I'm good to them, they'll be good to me. This goes against what God is trying to do. Pastor John MacArthur, writing about this, this passage, says our, we have an obsession with the rich and famous. Do we not? Uh, remember the old, you know what started all, I think, is the lives of the rich and famous. Robin Leach. Robin Leach. Everybody remember that show back in the 80s? That was the precursor to TMZ and all these other things, to the Kardashians, to the Hiltons, and, and everything else. Everyone just wants to be rich and famous. That's all we want. And we have an obsession with it. People Magazine, Us Magazine, National Enquirer, TMZ, and all the other ones that come on there. We want to know about their life. We want to see what they, what they bought. We want to see their homes and their cars. John MacArthur writing about that says, we're impressed with the rich, with their bank accounts. We're impressed, we're impressed with the cars they drive. We're impressed with their wardrobe and their jewelry. We can be very impressed with the job they hold or the profession they're in. We can be impressed with their reputation. We can be impressed if they have a lot of degrees at the end of their name. But let me tell you, he says, God is not impressed with any of that, and nor should we. And we find this even in the church of God. In Luke chapter 1, 51, as Christ is being born, 
one of the things that is said about him prophesied. It says that the Lord has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and he has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. You see, our version of what attracts us, the thing that draws us to others, is really the wrong thing. So the precept is found in the Old Testament of Christ is we're not to show favoritism. We're not to be partial to others. The principle behind this, the why, why should I not do this is very simple. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 16 where the Bible tells us that the Lord does not see as man sees. We see wrongly. He says man looks on the outward appearance. We're easily impressed by others. It says the Lord looks on the heart. Amen? That ought to bring us encouragement. It also ought to bring us some humbleness. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For Paul must remind us of this very fact. Many times the reason we show favoritism, especially towards the rich, is because we desire what they have. And we believe that if we can't have it, we want to put ourselves close in proximity to it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Paul reminds us of our humble beginnings. For he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose, in verse 27, that which is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of the Lord. In the same way, not only should we not boast in ourselves, but you and I should not also boast in others. We need to be careful of that, for even in the church of God, we can find ourselves to be hearers of the word and not doers when we show partiality and favorable to others in spite of others. You see, this precept and principle now points to the person of God. You see, Scripture reveals that God shows no favoritism. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, Moses writes that the Lord our God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great and mighty. He's the awesome God who is not partial and does not take bribes. And the scribe of 2 Chronicles 19 writes that there is no iniquity with the Lord our God. He is not a respecter of persons. But you and I have to realize now, James here is fixated on the differences between the rich and the poor. But that's not always where partiality or favoritism rears its ugly head. There's all types of discrimination. There's racial, there's appearance, there's social economic, there's gender, there's language, there's culture. All of that, it's abhorrent to God. It goes against God's design and command. You must understand that discrimination is a tool that's used by Satan to try and destroy the goodness of God's character. I remember growing up, and there were some other churches. Now, in the Midwest, what was very big was, was almost every church had a bus ministry. So every church would have a fleet of school buses. And what they would do is they would go out into the neighborhoods, 
and they would bring children in and sometimes adults, but typically it was children. And typically the buses went out to, to the poor sections for they usually weren't able to come in and then they would have a bus ministry. And we would bring in hundreds, hundreds of kids from poor backgrounds. And there was times where we rode the bus, we didn't have a car, and Dawn was a bus kid, that's how she came to know a church. Uh, it wasn't always those were poor, but typically that's where he came. And I remember, is in the bus ministry, there were many times where they would have their youth group, and they would have their youth group uh, meetings with all their Christian school kids and, and all the parents that were there that were Christians. But then they would have separate youth activities for those of the bus kids because they didn't want the two to ever mix. Now, typically that was more so because they didn't want this group coming in, making any problem. We don't want a girl from this end dating a guy from this end. You never want that happening. And that wasn't my church, but I saw that in churches in our areas where we would do something different. But you would also see it. There's times in which discrimination shows its ugly head, not only in the racial, because typically it was a different racial and socioeconomic group that was coming, but you saw in the fact there was children. I remember times being in a church where the older people did not want little children around because they were noisy, they were running around, they're going to upset everything. And so there would be churches who wouldn't want bus ministries or even want kids ministry because it upsets the apple cart. Again, simple ways in which we discriminate. We do it also in race and economics. Hey, I'm very proud of this church and the fact that I am not aware of any way in which this church does this today. It may happen. If it does happen, most times it's probably more subtle. I know that we try to work at doing that. Uh, it helps that our church, for the most part, seems to be right in the same area. But let me ask you, what would our reaction be if we had someone that came in that was wealthy? and someone who came in that was homeless, would we treat them the same? Would we offer them a cup of coffee? If they came and sat down next to us, how quick would we be able to shake their hand and welcome them or get up and move? How about those of different race and different languages? That's definitely something that we face here, even in our small church. Are we welcoming of people? And we say that we are and we do things, but yet... How much further will we go out to bring them in? For it says much about our testimony and who our God is. So once again, let me, the reason why this is important, because that discrimination, that favoritism, that partiality is a tool used by Satan to destroy the unity found in God's church. And when we show that, when we allow it, when we exhibit it, even if it's subtly, it destroys what God is trying to build and goes against the character and goodness of God. And I want to share with you three ways that discrimination opposes the goodness of God and why it is evil and why He commands it shouldn't be done and why you and I need to be alert for it. Because again, it's one of those things that finds itself in subtle ways. And if it's not prevalent here today, then we need to be on guard against it, not only here, but in our lives and in our workplaces and in our neighborhood. So discrimination opposes the goodness of God as shown in His creation. Genesis chapter 1, it says, that God created man in His own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw everything that he made. And behold, it was what? It was good. We need to understand God's creation. It was good. He created it all man, red, black, brown, yellow, white, male or female, rich and poor, all are made in the image of God. Sometimes I think many of us forget it. Even today, and I don't want to get political, so let's take politics. Can we take politics out of the church? And let me say this, is we have what it seems like hundreds, if not thousands, of young people streaming across the border. And I know that there's a political thing, I know that there's a law thing, but in the end, sometimes in the debate, the image of God is lost. In the debates about helping the poor, helping those who do not have enough, or even in our attacks against those who make more than us, we lose the image of God in that individual or that person. Yes, the CEO who makes $22 million a year, maybe that is too much, but yet let's not demonize an image of God. Let's demonize maybe the evil that's shown, but let's remember that each person is made in the image of God. And that should affect how you and I treat and debate and look at our politics and our worldview. For God has made all together. And they're all made in the image of God. God forbid, how did ever the Christian church ever, ever support slavery or support people of, 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 of different colors as, as, as different from themselves? But it happens. It happens today in, in, in this world today. It goes against the goodness of God. Discrimination also opposes the goodness of God, number two, as shown in His providence and His sovereignty. Look at Proverbs 22.2. Rich and poor have this in common. Can you read this with me out loud? Ready? The Lord is the maker of them all. That's very true. See, we're growing up in a society that's creating class warfare. To be honest, it's something new. It's been happening since the beginning of time. You have more camels than me, then I'm not happy. But you know what? God is the maker of them all. And in 1 Samuel 2.7, the Lord makes the poor and makes the rich. He brings low and He exalts. You see, what you and I need to understand, that it's God who determines where we were born at, who we were born to, He's the one who's determined and decided our giftings, our talents, our abilities, and even our successes. Amen? And that's difficult to take. Because aren't you, you know, sometimes, hey, I'm just as smart as that guy. I'm just as gifted as that guy. Hey, if I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth, then I would have, right? But God is the determiner of all things. And for you and I to complain or to show favoritism or to be uh, evil against someone else because they have something more than us or different from us is to say that God is not good. Let us not be like that. 
And then the third thing, the most important, is discrimination opposes the goodness of God shown not only in His creation and not only in His providence and His sovereignty, but also in the gospel of salvation. Look at this verse. It's important. Acts chapter 10. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows what? No partiality. But listen to this. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is what? Acceptable to Him. The message of the gospel is freely offered to all, regardless of race, creed, religion, appearance, the good, the bad, the ugly, or the amount in their checking account. As we look at these scriptures, there is no reason to show any partiality, any favoritism, or any discrimination. Why? Because it doesn't matter what gender you are, what nation you're from, it doesn't matter how much you make or how little you make, in all those areas that we discriminate, it goes against the goodness of God in His creation, in His providence and sovereignty, and in the gospel of salvation. So as James writes here, he says, you have a problem in the first century church, and you need to be careful of it because what's happening there is destroying the unity of the church. It's destroying the testimony of God's goodness, and in the end, it will destroy the gospel of the message in your assembly. And we never want that to happen. You know what? We have so many difficulties and barriers in sharing the goodness of God and the gospel. Let us not manufacture some by the evils in our own hearts. Amen? I'd like for you to take a moment. And you can just put your Bibles down. So I'm just going to ask you to do some pausing and reflecting for a moment. You can have your heads bowed and your eyes closed if you like, but I just want you to be... Uh, quiet at this time because I have some questions that I really want you to prayerfully consider this how do you view people how do you view your friends and your enemies do you make distinctions do you judge with evil thoughts thinking one person is better than another do you try to placate your enemies or those that are opposed to the law of God and the gospel witness by showing favoritism or blindly ignoring the hatred for God and the gospel of Christ? I would just ask if you would take a moment and if you say, Lord, search me and expose any discrimination, any evil thoughts in my own heart. Would you do so at this time? How do you view people? In what ways discrimination subtly or overtly shown in your own life and your own actions and own decision making. Search us, Lord. See what wicked ways that we hold this sin. Show us the ways in which we're still hearers and not doers of your word in this area of discrimination. In what ways have we attacked the goodness of God? How have we allowed the tools of Satan to be used and our own dealings with others? In what ways have we not shared the gospel? Father, make this clear to us. Then I ask you to come to respond to how God sees us. Let me share with you two verses. 
versus Galatians, where he says, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for we are all one in Christ. In the same way, in Romans, he says, for God shows no partiality. For he says, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And those who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous for God, but the doers of the law. So as you pause and reflect and ask God, would you now respond to his word? Would you confess that sin? Would you repent of it? Would you pray God to help you to forsake it and to follow through in obedience to his word? Father, I thank you that you show no partiality. And I pray that you would strengthen us as a church and as individuals not to do so either. It's a difficult thing not to judge others who are different from us. We yearn for the better, and so, Lord, we show partiality, we show favoritism to those that we want to be like, to those that we idolize, even if they blaspheme your name and oppress us, work in our hearts, that your gospel may go forth. I'd like to bring your attention to these closing words. You'll see the verse there, Revelation chapter 5. You and I one day will be delivered from this tool of Satan. One day we are going to gather together millions, hundreds of millions together from all walks of life, from every language, from every tongue, male, female, rich and poor. And he gives us this great glimpse into heaven. In Revelation chapter 5, it says, And they sing a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nations. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. We will all bow down and say, He is Lord, and sing the praises of God. It's up to you and I to do that here. To bring people from every nation, from every tongue, and come into the unity that God has brought. Father, help us to do so. Lord, on this earth, we still have the presence of sin, especially of discrimination in our hearts, some worse than others. I think even those who say they have no discrimination, Father, would finally find themselves deceived, for it's always within our hearts. It's a tool that Satan uses to put in a pry bar to just pry apart the unity and the goodness found in who you are. And I pray as a church, Lord, that we would just repent of any discrimination in our hearts. Lord, any ways in which we show favoritism. Father, it could be in the way that of even the, the stars that we want to emulate, the people that we enjoy, the people that we want to be like. Let us see the danger that happens when we allow that into our hearts, strengthen us for this battle. And may you be glorified. We pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangefilla.org.
There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.